We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Cash Considerations Podcast, the Chicago Bulls podcast, where we always have a road dog mentality. I'm Ricky O'Donnell. Jason Pat's with me. Jason, what's going on? Not much. Uh, road dog also, I believe we are starting to form a Chicago Bulls wolf pack. The Bulls are like a pack of wolves, according to Jim Boylan. I guess he really just loves uh, dog references when uh, talking about his, his new team here. I, I don't know. No, he loves 90s wrestling. Road Dog Jesse James from Degeneration X. Now we got an NWO shout out with the Wolf Pack. Uh, I mean, what what else are we missing here? I feel like there's at least a few more wrestling stables in the back of my head somewhere that I can't think of. I, I was never a big wrestling guy, so I I, I got I got to tap out. Ah, on that shameful. One. No wonder this podcast hasn't made us any money yet. Anyways, this is the Cash Considerations Podcast. The Bulls they're still bad. Believe it or not, yeah. the Bulls remain a complete joke. Of a franchise, of an organization, and of a team. The Bulls are now two and four under Jim Boylan. Two and five, I believe, actually. Two and five. All right, two and five. Uh, since our last podcast, they've had three games. They lost to the Magic in a tight game uh, that went down to the wire. That was in Mexico City. Bulls lose 97 91 in that one. Uh, you know, when we talk about the Bulls having this international fan base, how the Bulls could be. You know, a team like the Lakers, beloved around the world, running themselves uh, like, you know, a power player throughout the NBA landscape. I feel like that Mexico City game was one of the games we talk about for that because that entire stadium was Bulls. This is going nuts for like a game that was terrible. Like I, I kind of like half watched it the other day, uh, not live. I was just kind of working head on the background, but the fans were going nuts for every Bulls basket. Despite the like I said, the game was absolutely awful, slow pace, bad offense, the just a bunch of crap, but fans were going nuts, and it was for the Bulls mostly because, like, probably not the Magic aren't really a worldwide draw, but the Bulls, like you met, like we've mentioned, worldwide brand, huge deal all, all over the world. I know I had somebody tell me the other day, that just like when they go abroad, they like when they see like NBA jerseys, Bulls are like a huge popular one there. So, like you said, like they fans were going nuts for the Bulls there, and of course they they delivered a nice loss to a very mediocre Magic team. Two remarkable things happened from this Bulls game. For one, Zach Levine got hurt. Uh, he had like a foot injury, an ankle injury. He's got an MRI. He hasn't played since. Uh, he's going to be out, you know, at least through part of this week, I think. And in some cases, it seems like it's going to be all week because when it yeah. first happened, he 
was like, oh, I'm going to be fine, which, all right, doctor, like, probably not. Because then he also admitted that, like, he felt a pop. Whenever you feel a pop, you, you claim, like, I felt a pop, but I th- it might have just been some fluid. Whenever you feel a pop, that, I feel like that's not a good thing. And then it came out that I, I believe it was officially diagnosed as, like, a sprained deltoid ligament in his ankle. He was in a walking boot. I feel like that's something that's, like, a multiple-week injury, I'm sure. And, like, and especially in a season like this, there's no reason to bring him back, like, super quickly. So, like, I feel like he'll probably be out this week, maybe even next week as well. Like, obviously, he'll be wanting to get back on the court, and the Bulls want to see him back on the court to play with, get the young core together because they've barely played together. But it was a stu- it was completely stupid injury as well because it seemed like it happened on the last play of the game when Bulls were down six, and Levine, for some reason, tried to drive and, like, dunk with a basket that wouldn't have mattered. And he came up hobbling. I know Casey Johnson reported that there was some belief that it might have happened earlier, but it sure seemed like it happened on that last play. It could have been completely avoided. And, of course, it just figures that on the last play of that stupid game that they lose against a bad Magic team or average Magic team that he hurts himself and is going to miss probably a couple weeks. The other notable thing from that game, 13 people involved within the organization got a stomach virus from players, executives, coaches, Jabari Parker's one of them. He didn't play uh, in the last game he lost to Oklahoma City. Uh, and that was because of the illness, not because he's completely out of the rotation, which he is. We can talk about, we'll that, talk about that later. Yeah, Bulls go to Mexico City. Their best player gets hurt, and the whole team gets sick. Great trip. The, uh, did you see the video of their team bus pulling in the hotel? I feel like that oh, was... Even better, the bus bottomed out. Yeah, the bus bottoms out. And, like, the NBA, the NBA Twitter account, like, for some reason showed, like, showed that like i don't know if they were like trolling the bulls but like there was absolutely no reason to show the bus bottoming bottoming out as it pulled up on the curb at their team hotel but it was just like a, a perfect basically like statement of where the bulls are at and just like basically an ominous just like ominous sign for for, for that trip and and it obviously turned out very poorly yeah so that couldn't have gone any worse for the bulls uh they did follow it up two days later in san antonio this was the best Bulls game of the season, right? A 98-93 win over the Spurs. I'll say, I'll say second. I'll, I'll put in the, the, I believe I feel like beating the Thunder a couple weeks ago at home. Lowry had a huge game, that game winner over Paul George. I'm going to put that as the best Bulls game of the year. This Spurs game, we could probably go second. All right, so in this game, Bulls are down 21 at one point in the second half. They go on a huge run in the third quarter, led by Chris Dunn. Dunn finishes the game with 24 points. He ices it down the stretch, as we saw him do multiple times last season. This was only Dunn's fourth game back, dropping 24 points. That's the second most of his career. Bulls went on an 18-4 run over six six minutes span late in the second half. Uh, Spurs shot 1-10 over that time. Uh, Really good to see Chris Dunn back at the controls. It was a lot of mid-range jumpers. Still Chris Dunn, not getting to the foul line, not shooting threes. But we, as we saw last year, Dunn's bread and butter is kind of coming off that screen and roll, taking the mid-range jump shot. The defenses in today's NBA are, like, built to concede. He does hit that shot at a pretty decent clip, though. And we saw on Saturday it was enough for the Bulls to steal a win. Yeah, and obviously it feels like the Spurs just kind of took took it the far off the gas, and the Bulls just kept kept fighting hard. They 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 played they kept the defense up, and the, the Spurs also a team that kind of the Bulls can kind of match up with, even though they were down big. Like a team that the Bulls can come back on because the Spurs take a bunch of mid range jumpers as well. They don't shoot that many threes, and they just kind of stopped falling. Demar Derozan had a really brutal game, twenty one points on eight of twenty three shooting. He was a minus seventeen. The Bulls actually forced some turnover turnovers. 
The Spurs just got really sloppy. Kind of just, I guess, they've been playing really well too, but they just seemed like they just kind of took, kind of took the Bulls lightly in that second half, took the foot off the gas, and the Bulls just kind of kept coming. So, credit to them for pulling out that type of game. The Bulls didn't like, they didn't really play well at all. They only shot forty three percent. They were six of twenty nine from three. They were really hot. Justin Holiday was one of twelve. The road Holiday woes continued. One of twelve overall. But like you mentioned, Dunn was really great. Hits. Hit some of those big clutch shots on the stretch. Some really tough mid-range jumpers and floaters, which he has, which he has done. Lowry had had one of his best games of the season: twenty-three points, nine of eighteen shooting, hit three three-pointers, and one huge thing, was huge aspect of this comeback. I feel like, or just the game in general, was the Bulls only turned it over like seven or eight times. We've seen, and we'll talk about this in a bit, talking about the Thunder game. The Bulls have a huge issue with issue with turnovers. I believe. Even before, even with Hoiberg and now under Boylan, I believe there's something. They might be the worst team in the league in terms of turnover turnover percentage. In the Spurs game, they only had, like I said, seven or eight turnovers. They kept uh, took care of the ball. So despite the fact that they didn't shoot very well, the fact that they didn't turn the ball over was great. They set up the defense. The Spurs missed some shots, and they just kind of rode that momentum with Chris Dunn pulling it out for them. So I guess like, I guess it was a nice win for them. Like part of me, I I even just actually just tweeted this like. I, part of me wishes the Bulls would just lose all these games under Boylan and just make them look a complete disaster. But, like, it is nice for them sometimes, especially when you see the, a young guy like Chris Dunn hit big shots like that. It is good for them to win some of these games and not just completely go into a completely loser mentality. One interesting thing I feel like about this, Dunn having this big game, is the fact that Zach Levine, as you mentioned, he had the injury, did not play again. Right. And I feel like that we have seen in going to the last year it, yes. that Dunn – and Levine have not been able to mesh very well. And that done, it feels like both guys have played their best without the other on the court. And I feel like that's going to be something we're really going to have to watch once Levine gets healthy, whenever he comes back on the court. They need to, they, these guys are going to have to find some type of chemistry together because so far they have not done it. The sample size is very small. But last year, him, Dunn, Lowry, and Markin played some, or Dunn, Lowry, and Levine played something like 255 minutes together. Their net rating was like minus 21. This year they've only played, I think, something like 11 minutes together. They're like minus six in those minutes. It just has not worked out for them on the court because I feel like with Dunn, he clearly is better when he's uh, dominating the ball, when he's going downhill, doing that pick and roll. But then with Levine, who could be a really good off-ball threat with the shooting, with his cutting and his athleticism, Levine also thinks of himself as an alpha dog. So if he's going to be dominating the ball, that puts Dunn off the ball where he's not really as effective. So, like, what kind of confidence level do you have in, while these guys have shown flashes individually, what kind of confidence level do you have in them figuring it out together? It's a tough fit because defensively it's great. You know, Dunn is a legitimately good defender. We've seen him near the NBA, top of the NBA leaderboard and steal rate since he's become a full-time player. He's a dogged on-ball defender. He does gamble a little bit too much. Uh, He does have a tendency to foul, but really, Chris Dunn is a very good defensive NBA point guard, close to elite. He's also tall, long arms. He can check the shooting guards that, you know, Zach Levine potentially could have trouble guarding. So defensively, it's a good match. It's like you can hide Levine on the weaker backcourt player. Dunn could take the stronger backcourt player. The problem is offensively, it's twofold. Both these guys like the ball in their hands. They both see themselves as the alpha dog. As you said, they both like to initiate the offense to run pick and rolls. Dunn just isn't a threat off the ball because he's not a shooter. I mean, you could look at Chris Dunn's shooting numbers this year. 
Uh, he's only made one three the whole season. Uh, no, he's two. He's two for nine from the year on three. Yeah, but, you know, that's a small sample size. We saw last year in 52 games, Chris Dunn shot 32% from three and 2.6 attempts a game. So Dunn is basically a non-shooter. So when if you're going to have a non-shooter in today's NBA, like you basically only have one of those guys. I feel like you probably need four shooters on the floor at all times. If you want to be a really good team, minimum three shooters. So it's just tough to have Dunn out there with Levine because defenses can sag so far off him when he's playing off the ball, load up on the lane against the drives, against uh, Carter in the paint, against Levine when he's trying to attack the rim. So that's a big problem. It's like offensively, if Levine is going to be the guy with the ball in his hands, then Chris Dunn can't really be the other guard next to him because it just presents so many problems from a spacing perspective to have a non-shooter out there next to him in the backcourt. When Dunn's initiating the offense and Levine's off the ball, that works a little bit better. The problem there, though, is that Dunn still hasn't shown great vision. He's also very turnover-prone. We saw last year, he did have a 2-to-1 assist-to-turnover ratio, uh, but he turned it over three times a game. He's doing the same thing this year through his first four games back. He has, like, B. I would I give him a B in terms of being a facilitator. He averaged six assists a game last year. He sees the court decently well, but not great. Uh, Dunn also hasn't proven that he is a reliable free-throw shooter yet. Now, we have to give him credit. He did ice the game against the Spurs with three clutch free-throws towards the end. He actually hasn't missed a free-throw all season at well, the start of his career, 61% as a rookie, 73% last year. Uh, so, I mean, that pairing, you know Levine's here to stay. Like, I don't think they're going to move Levine. I don't know if they can move Levine, even if they wanted to. Perhaps, you know, because there's such a need for shooting and athleticism throughout the NBA, a team with cap space would roll the dice on him. He is signed long-term. Um, you know, maybe the bull sour on him after this whole fiasco following Celtics game where you know it sure seems like the tea leaves point to Zach Levine being the one who is sort of leading the player mutiny with that said I gotta think Levine's gonna be here long term Chris Dunn is the guy who's gonna be up for a contract extension after this year you know is Chris Dunn the Bulls point guard of the future I think that is one of the biggest long-term questions facing the franchise you know if the Bulls end up with the four, five, six, seven, eight pick, you could look at a guy like Murray State point guard John Morant, who hit a game winner today against, I believe, Evansville. Uh, he is a tremendous talent. Now we know Cameron Payne went to Murray State. We know Isaiah Cannon went to Murray State. I honestly believe John Morant is on a whole other level than those guys. Watch him play, and it is shocking to me how he ended up at the mid-major level because this dude's talent just pops off the screen. Uh, so big, so athletic, amazing vision for John Morant. He is very skinny. He's learning how to become a shooter, but we're getting ahead of ourselves here. The question, though, is, like, is Chris Dunn the long-term point guard for this team? Uh, jury very much still out on that. Yeah, uh, I'm, with the Bulls. On that note, I know at, this was right after the Spurs game. Uh, Joe Cowley, sometimes he like, reported – that the Bulls, that basically just that, like the Bulls front office is still not sure about Dunn. Probably the fit with Levine is, right. as we mentioned, is questionable. I know he brought up after that, like, what the, what they've done in the past. Allegedly, they liked Colin Sexton a lot. They brought in, like, Trey Young, I think, for a workout. I think he used as, that as kind of some evidence that the Bulls might not be in on Dunn. And just one thing, like, we talked about how he's, like, Chris Dunn, like, the mid-range game is his bread and butter. 
those floaters. And just like, I'm just not sure, like, how, if that really, if you can, if you can really build, like, in a, especially in this NBA, like, it's great that he's good, good at those shots. If you can hit those shots, especially like late in games, that can be a weapon, as we saw against the Spurs. But like, if you're going to craft like an elite offensive player out of, uh, especially like a point guard these days, like a guy who basically makes his hay from mid range, but doesn't shoot threes and doesn't get to the line, like, I think that's really tough to have as like one of your main lead ball handlers. We've kind of, I mentioned DeRozan in this Spurs game. I feel like that he kind of falls under that as well. Like DeRozan is a great player, all-star. He scores a lot, but we've seen it break down the playoffs when just like his mid-range game dries up. Doesn't have as much to go for there. And this, and he's a guy that gets to the line a lot. Chris Dunn doesn't get to the line a lot. If, like if, if his efficiency is based on him, like shooting 50% mid-range, that's just really not going to work. So like he's really going to have to, figure out how to sh- at least if not shoot more threes, he's gonna have to get to the line more because this in the, even in the Spurs game, he only took two threes, missed both against, against the thunder. He didn't take any threes and like, didn't even really look to shoot any. So like, if he's just like not going to be a three point threat at all, he's going to have to get to the line more, get to the, or at least get to the rim more. And just, he he's basically his efficiency can't rely on him shooting flames from mid-range because that's just not going to work like you you go through stretches where you're going to be really hot from there but you can't you can't rely on hitting 50 percent of those shots all the time because they're just too difficult as the year goes on you're going to tire out and, and defenses are going to play for it and he's just, he's just gonna have to diversify his offense if he's going to be that that point guard of the future i totally agree but you know what jason i haven't seen anything that leads me to believe he's anything more than that like yeah. that really is the one part of his offensive game where he thrives uh, I mean, you basically gave a, a nice, complete picture of his offense to the listeners. But, you know, right now we haven't seen him be able to find success with anything other than the mid-range game. It's a big question for Dunn. It's a big question for the Bulls moving forward. Uh, and, you know, you saw the next night against Oklahoma City, the Bulls lose 121-96. to 96. That was on Monday. Dunn in that game, 12 points in 26 minutes, 7 assists. Four turnovers. I thought he played a decent game. Obviously, that game is going to be defined by the fight in the third quarter, which Chris Dunn was primarily involved in. Yeah, honestly, like, before we get into the fight, like, his numbers, like, he, I feel like the fact that he only took eight shots. He took eight shots, zero threes, two free throws. I don't think the – I think the free throws were, like, a penalty situation where it's not like he even drew them going – like, driving the basket. Eight shots in a game with Zach Levine not playing is absolutely ridiculous. I don't even think it was really his fault. There was a lot going on with Dunn coming, like playing off the ball, working off screens while like Cameron Payne was handling the ball, and they were like trying to pound into the post. Like this is like almost a whole another conversation about Jim Boylan's offense, which has was has been written about a bit lately. I know Stefano, the Athletic, wrote about how just like how it's been antiquated with like Rolo and all that kind of stuff. It's slow. They're slowing it down a lot. Not shooting. I haven't looked at the three-point numbers, but just, like, it's been really bad. It's been slower than they were under Hoiberg. There was a point in the game yesterday where Boylan was caught, like, screaming at Shaq Harrison to slow the pace down instead of pushing. And I feel like the way that Dunn was used yesterday, which just, which just, or against the Thunder, was really ridiculous. Like I said, eight shots, didn't have the ball as much. Like, when you have Dunn out there with no Levine, you had to have him just run in that pick-and-roll, pick-and-pop with Lowry, with Portis, him getting downhill towards the basket instead using them off the ball like they did and playing those post-ups was like, was like ridiculous. It was just, it was really ugly to watch for the most part against a, against a team like the Thunder, their defense is elite, understandable. 
But still, like, what they were trying to do was just really tough to watch. And then all the turnovers, I think the Bulls had, like, 25 turnovers. And it was just it was just really tough. And, like, I really do hope that Boylan kind of opens up the offense at least some, hopefully pushing the ball a bit. I understand, like, with when you're dealing with somewhat of a lack of talent, slowing it down, I guess. But, like, the Bulls have some young players. When you have a guard like Chris Dunn, get out in transition, take advantage of transition baskets if Lowry can get out and get open threes in transition. I would rather see that than the, the fucking post-ups with, Robin Lopez were killing me yesterday. He had like five turnovers. Some of he, there were possessions where he was like just dribbling the ball for like five, ten seconds in the post. Like, I don't want to watch that garbage. Like, if the Bulls are going to be bad, at least make the offense at least somewhat entertaining to watch because the the Rolo and Portis post ups, so just over and over again with the second unit, was brutal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, the Bulls, the big, uh, the big thing to come from that game, though. They showed their road dog mentality. Yeah, they fight. Their fight. yeah, I feel like the only thing Jim Boylan has talked about since he's become the Bulls coach is toughness, is fighting. We got to show some fight. We got to do some diamond push-ups so you guys can run your offensive sets better. Well, finally, Jim Boylan, they did get into a fight. And this was so funny because there's Boylan right in the middle yeah, of it. Doing like, the impression. Like, this is Nick's heat in the 90s. Basically putting Jeremy Grant into a full Nelson and just dragging him away from half court. Jim Boylan getting in the thick of it. Yeah, that was wild. Because I guess I guess if we want to paint the picture for those who didn't see it, I'm sure most people saw it by now. But like, started harmlessly enough. Like Russ or Chris Dunn was guarding Russ coming around like a screen or something like that. I think a foul was called. I don't even think the foul was called on Dunn. I think it was called on somebody else. Dunn was a little up in Russ's grill, so Russ gave him a little shove. Dunn, showing that road dog mentality, gave Russ a shove back, and then from there just kind of went into total chaos. Like, Rolo and Jeremy Grant went at it. They almost, they, it kind of almost spilled into the stands, and that's when Coachy McCoacherson, road dog, pack, wolf, wolf pack man, Jim Boylan, comes running from across. This, this was basically going on on the Thunder bench where the fight was going on. Boylan comes from the Bulls bench, and like you mentioned, like, chokehold Jeremy Grant and, like, pulls him backwards. I feel like that's kind of wild. I feel like like it's been kind of downplayed. Like, maybe that's not that big a deal. Maybe we're making too big of a deal of it. But, like, I feel like an opposing coach coming to the other bench and pulling not one of his players, but one of the other team's players away the way he did, I feel like that's, like, ridiculous and not acceptable, or at least it shouldn't be. It doesn't seem like anything's going to happen to him, and I feel like not many people have talked about it that much, but, like, I feel like that's just kind of wild and nuts. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. Yeah, and Boylan said after the game, he's like, this happens all the time. This is no big deal. I don't know, does it? I mean, sure, there's going to be scuffles in the NBA, but the fact that their coach was bear-hugging an opposing Thunder player, uh, I thought that that was just completely ridiculous. But, you know, some people are going to like that the Bulls finally showed a little bit of fight. The Bulls have been getting their faces pounded in all season long. So, it's, yeah, I guess yesterday, one- I would say I saw the stat yesterday. I think the they, what are they lost by 25 yesterday, right? And I think this is like the sixth time they've lost by that many points this season, which is the first in the NBA. I believe the Bulls are dead last in point differential at this point, obviously losing by 56. We'll skew those things a little bit, but it's not like that was like these aren't the only few times they've been beat, their ass beat. They got their ass beat by the Warriors, the Raptors beat them by thirty, the Celtics beat them by like twenty five, thirty, like the Hornets beat them by thirty, yeah, by thirty. So like they've gotten their ass beat their their fair share of times this season. 
Yeah, and, you know, the Bulls, uh, while they did show some fight, they still lost by, what, like 25 points? 25. Back to the fight for a second, though, which I totally forgot about this with Boylan and whatever, dragging Jeremy Grant out there. Uh, in the comments of Bloggable, someone, I can't remember who it was, but reminded me that Boylan got into it with Matt Barnes and Boogie a couple years ago in, like, a similar, like, scrum situation I think was, was this like, during the joke him Noah fuck you fuck you no fuck no no you. this was with Taj and Rondo 2017 I believe it was because I saw a pod, there was a link to an espionation post they did on it and I think it was I think Taj got like teed up uh for I can't remember what he did but he got teed up and like Rondo was kind of involved too and the kind of benches kind of cleared and then there's Boylan coming in like kind of shoving away Matt Barnes and Boogie and Boogie shoved him back because he was like dude you're not my coach. Get get your fucking hands off me. Like, what do you think you're doing? And like, and then he got into it with Matt Barnes after that. And like, I would never mess with Matt Barnes. That crazy dude. It's like Boylan is like he's just a wild madman. Like this guy's insane. <laughs> it's crazy. A wild madman. Uh, Boylan. For those who don't know, his he played some football before he eventually played college basketball at Maine. His dad was the captain and all big 10 guy at Michigan state played linebacker also played guard. His dad was also a heavyweight boxer. So I feel like that's where Boylan sort of ethos comes from his dad having this real tough guy mentality. That's obviously trickled down to Boylan. Uh, And you know, he's a basketball coach who coaches like a football coach. Yeah. I saw that. I think, I think Casey tweeted this. So like the other day, I can't remember what game was before. Maybe it was the magic. I can't remember, but like they like, put nickname like almost like football-y nicknames like above the players lockers and it's it was just like another in the long list of just like almost like cringeworthy things like i don't we, we probably like make too much of some of this stuff and like make fun of some of these quotes but just like he's just like the biggest coachy coach most obnoxious with these things ever just like it, it just almost is like kind of fun to make fun of especially because the bulls are so bad like there's really nothing wrong with being like obviously like a hard-nosed coach to a degree, like, I feel like he just blows past, like, the degree where it's, like, acceptable, and just, like, everything he says is almost just, like, a caricature of, like, a coachy coach, coacherson guy, and it's, like, all this stuff, like, the whole package is just, it's just crazy, it's wild, and it's, and it's, and it's honestly just kind of funny, like, I'm just gonna make jokes about it, maybe, maybe it'll actually work, and he'll actually bring the team together, and the, they start playing better, but for right now, and they're getting their ass beat every other night. Like, I'm just going to make fun of it because it's, like, obnoxious and ridiculous. It's a fucking joke, and they have to fire this loser. I know that that would mean the Bulls have to pay three coaches next year. I know that would mean that, you know, this coach in Boylan who packs in season as an extension of himself, right. that's, like, the Bulls admitting failure. But tactically, Jim Boylan is not a modern NBA coach. I mean, the guy is living in the 80s. He's living in the 90s in terms of how he's coaching the Bulls. Slow-ass pace. The Bulls are taking so many more shots uh, in the last five seconds of the shot clock, as Stefan Noe wrote in his great article at The Athletic earlier this week. And then you look at what, you know, the former people who have covered Boylan and his previous coaching stops have been saying, I've been loving the coverage out of Utah. Boylan coached the Utah Utes from 2007 through 2011, uh, Utah in that time, one NCAA tournament appearance. Uh, you know, Boylan's tenure, though, was mostly distinct by the fact that everyone fucking hated him. 
There was a column in the Salt Lake Tribune earlier this week, headline, Jim Boylan is burning down the Chicago Bulls, not unlike the way he torched the Utes. There are so many good lines in this. I'm just going to read over a small portion of it. Quick, uh, note, quick to, note first. This guy, I believe the author is Gordon Monson, right? Something like that. Yeah. You wrote a column that I that someone had pulled had brought to my attention. I think Bern, Dan Bernstein actually linked to it in what, a column like last week about Boylan. That he wrote a column like at the end of Boylan's tenure in like 2011, going back to it, and like that was just kind of really prescient as to how like what's going on right now. Just like there was like a note about how like Boylan got pissed at like a guy dunking at the end of a game when and he like was like squaring at him and it was like just going off like calling him classes or something like that. It was just it was just all kind of like perfectly setting up to like what he's doing now. So yeah, and like I said, this same guy wrote this column seven years ago or whatever when Boylan was coaching out, wrote this column this week. So take it away with some of these lines. Sure, I was just going to read over the small part. Over breakfast that morning in a small Salt Lake City cafe, Boylan blamed his players for a lack of discipline and absence of competitive diligence and drive. But the more he pointed the finger at others, the more the blame bounced back to him. Quote, we need toughness, Boylan said. We need players. What Utah really needed was a better coach. A year later, he was fired. He lost a third of his roster when he was Utah's coach. The entire team just transferred out. Nobody stayed there more than two years, essentially. No one wants to play for Jim Boylan, which is the reason the Bulls have to fire him. Uh, it's just not going to be a good, healthy work environment as long as Boylan's the coach. Boylan has to go. He cannot be the coach next year. This is already settled in my mind. There's nothing he can do. Oh, and if you're wondering, like, you know, what's what's Utah really going to do? Well, as soon as you as Boylan left, Utah got really good. Larry Kristowiak became the coach. They've won 20 games or more the last five seasons. They've produced NBA players like DeLon Wright, Yaka Pertle, just to name a few, uh, who are both first-round draft picks. So, Boylan... As long as he's the coach, the Bulls just are not going to have a healthy work environment. I think that that's already, like, that. that's over. Like, he, the dude lost the team within four fucking days. Get Boylan's ass out of here, man. He can coach out the rest of this year because the Bulls are trying to lose games anyway. I mean, they don't think they are, but they are because they're just so bad at winning them. He can't be the coach next year, Jason. No free agent's going to want to play here. No one is going to feel good about returning to this team. Like, what do you think Zach Levine's internal monologue is? Knowing he has to go to work and play for Jim Boylan every day. Even if he thought Fred Hoiberg was the biggest coward in the world, the biggest pushover in the world, I guarantee that that was a healthier work environment than with Jim Boylan leading the charge. And we know that Boylan was already around the team for the last three years. Boylan was the guy who, in a lot of ways, was running the practices, running the meetings. Uh, Just get his ass out of here, though. If he's the the leader of your quote-unquote program, as he likes to say, it's just not going to be a place that anyone wants to play for. I Honestly, I, I'm i just assuming that he's going to be there next year for multiple reasons. That the the money situation, like he's under contract for cheap next year, and I don't, honestly, I don't think Fred's going to get, is it that, the Fred thing is, if that's just, is that just an NBA head coaching job? Or like if he takes any job, like I'm not, I'm not, wasn't totally sure about that. Like if he gets like a co- if he goes back to college, like the Bulls still have to pay him that full. I would guess yes, right? I'm and not that- totally sure, but I believe that's correct. So like, uh, yeah. I feel like between that and the fact that Paxson, like Pac- the front Bulls front office, like is endorsing this like behavior and they're like all about it. 
which actually we we can actually talk about this in a bit. Some of the comments that they've made, but we'll we'll talk about that later. Uh, and then just like I still feel like the Bulls are going at some point are going to play a little better at some point. Like maybe maybe there's going to be a complete disaster. Maybe Boylan's going to poison them so much that they're that they're a literal like twenty win team. I still feel like that when they get healthy, they're going to be decent enough where they're going to show enough and like win just enough where it's going to like where they're going to feel comfortable enough to bring Boyland back next year. Like, hey, look, they showed fight. They they won some games. They like got to like 25, 30, maybe they're on like 30 wins, and that's going to be enough to keep Boylan's job. I'm just like assuming that right now. Not that I want it to happen. Like, trust me, they should absolutely be looking at other options. They should be looking at other options right now. But I'm just assuming right now that because from what all we heard that Paxson and Foreman, they, they love this shit, this try-hard shit. It's got actually – even in that vein, the fact that Boylan went over there and ch- choked out Jeremy Grant just kind of made me remind me. I'm sure John Paxson loved that shit after choking Vinny Del Negro. That's that's right up John Paxson's alley. That's Bulls culture. What a wonder yeah, out there, man. Exactly. So like, I, I just got a sticking feeling that that's what that they're they're going to do. Just the, they're going to play just well enough. Which like I want to see them play better, but I also don't want to see them play better. Almost. Like it's such a just like a. 50-50 like thing. I go back and forth. Like I would, I want to see these young guys play better. But like, if that means boil, if that means Boylan's back next year, I really don't want to see that. So it's like, damn, I don't, I don't know. But I gotta I, say, man, the the Bulls are. They've really been a tough, tough ass team under Jim Boylan. They're really showing some fight. Really showing some character. This year, some bullshit. Tom would say. By the way, the Bulls threw seven games under Jim Boylan as Stefano treated tweeted today they are tied for the worst net rating ever in nba history with the 2011-12 bobcats that team won seven games they had the worst winning percentage in nba history that was the lockout year i believe negative 15.1 is the bulls net rating that is points per 100 possessions uh offensive defensive efficiency so Uh, again trash the 56-point loss will do that. But I think just the yeah. bigger part, the bigger factor, they have played a little better defensively. How much of that goes to them versus, like, I guess they have been playing a little harder defensively. I, I'll i give them th- that much. Like, that number wouldn't be as bad, wouldn't be quite as good if the Spurs didn't completely shit their pants in the second half. The Spurs were on their way to, to a big offensive number, and they just fell apart. Uh, but the the offensive rating, I think, is the bigger problem. As we've talked about, like the offensive rating under Boylan in seven games is something like ninety four or ninety five, which is like historically bad stuff. And like with the slower pace and just the way they're playing is absolutely garbage. And like maybe that's not all in the coaching. Like Lowry has struggled a bit with his shooting. Like he's still trying to find his rhythm. He's been really inconsistent, and some of it's just him missing open shots. Other times, like him to. T- Against the Thunder, he tried to do a few things off the dribble that were absolutely horrendous. So, like, some of these guys are still trying to find a rhythm. and But, like, overall, it's like the, the offense under Boylan has been pathetic. And I feel like that some of that is definitely on him, just the way they're, they're trying to run the offense really slow, slowing it down. Their half-court offense is just really tough to watch. So, like, it's, it's, it's bad. It's real, real bad. And I, I said, it's going to get better. They have enough talent where it's going to look better, but, like, how much better it is, I, I don't know. Uh, it's not going to get that much better. I mean, they're almost certainly going to finish with one of the four worst records in the league. So I'm going, I, get, think, I, I think they're pretty locked into five. Like, if you look at the t- five tank things right now, there are, like, five teams that are clearly 
way worse than everybody else. The Suns, the Suns who have won three in a row. The Suns have won three in a row. Actually, tonight was a great tank night for the Bulls. The the Hawks won. Hawks the, win. The the Cavs beat the Pacers on the road with a buzzer beater. It's huge for them. The Suns have won three in a row. Right now, the Bulls are tied for the worst record in the league with the Suns, winners of three straight. But again, yeah, it's Bulls, Suns, Hawks, Cavs, and Knicks. The Knicks are really fucking bad. The, the Suns just blew out the Knicks, I believe, at Madison Square Garden. I feel like Porzingis is not coming back this year. Even if he does, he won't be that good coming off an ACL. So those five teams are basically like four or five losses clear of like the next team. So like right now, barring any other team completely falling apart, which somebody could, long season, teams going to ruts. But right now, there are five teams really really locked into, it seems, this tank race. So right now, the Bulls are in pretty good shape. As long as they don't start like go on a seven game winning streak like they did last year, I feel like I said I feel like they're gonna play a little better. But they I don't like like this upcoming this week the Bulls play like the Nets tomorrow night who are gonna be on a second of a back to back after beating the Lakers at home. I think that's a game the Bulls should win. The Nets have won six in a row, but like that's that's a tough second game of a back to back after a lot of emotion beating the Lakers. And then I think they play the Magic at home. Another game theoretically the Bulls should could win. They play at Cleveland this weekend, and then I think they have, like, maybe the Timberwolves after that. So, like, the Bulls have a week coming up where they could win a few games. They might be able to go on a little winning streak, but then I think they go on the road. In January, they have, like, their West Coast road trip where they're, they're just going to get their ass beat. So, like, even if they win a few games coming up now, they're going to lose their fair share the rest of the year, hopefully, and they're going to be in a pretty good position when it comes down to it with the draft. But... Let's not talk about the draft. We talk, we've talked about the draft too much. Let's talk, let's transition to Jabari Parker. We mentioned him a, a little earlier. And before the Magic game, it came out that he was going to be done. He was out of the rotation, which, like, Jabari's obviously been kind of a mess this season. He did start playing a little better over the last maybe month or so. He saw, I feel like he played his way into shape. He was out of shape. Came into camp out of shape got benched, and then had spent like the first month or so of the year playing into shape, started playing a little better. Then Lowry and Portis come back, and he just his minutes just kind of aren't there because he's not, not a small forward. He's a power forward, and his minutes kind of dried up. Comes out that he is not going to be in the rotation anymore. He played four minutes, four minutes against the Magic, was a minus nine. Um, and, then it, and then it comes out that, he, that he's on the trade block. The Bulls are trying to trade for him. That his, that he's, they're working with Mark Bartleson to find a trade for him. What do you like? What do you make of? I guess can the Bulls? What do you think the Bulls could get in Jabari trade? Like, do you think that's going to happen? Imminent, imminent, or soon, imminent, whatever. Like, I, I what do you even make of this whole Jabari Parker situation? I guess is what I'm asking. The main objective for the Bulls here is not to take back money unless they're actually adding a player who can be a long-term piece for the core. Like, for example, if the Wizards want to get rid of Otto Porter. Yeah. Otto Porter makes $25 million a year. You can debate back and forth whether or not Otto Porter is worth that money. I will say, though, the Bulls you, need to I would say he's not, but, like, I feel like he, in the right situation, maybe, like, he would fit right in as a small forward, that he could maybe be close if he can be, like, a 40% three-point shooter and play good defense. He's not going mean, to be worth Otto it. Porter hit 43% in 2017, yeah. 44% in 2018. Both those years, he's averaging 13, 14 points a game. This year, his numbers are down a little bit across the board. Still only 25 years old. Otto Porter is also one of those guys who just grades out like awesomely in the RPM stats, in yeah. a lot of the advanced metrics. 
uh, he's not someone who's going to create a lot of offense for himself off the dribble. He's mostly someone who's going to be kind of a 3 and D guy. And then, you know, the real question is how elite is that defense? I don't think it's elite. That's, like, not the right word to use for it. But he's solid defensively. He can stretch the floor. He can hit some shots. He hits the glass pretty well. Uh, He's going to get in the passing lanes and get steals. So, I mean, do you want to lock up Otto Porter $25 million a year over the next four years? It is the biggest position in need. He would fill a lot of problems. I think there's only two years left on his deal after this year. Yeah, I mean, would you trade Jabari for Porter? Let's talk about it. Uh, Well, like, first of all, like, I, like, cap space this year really, I feel like at this point, does not matter. The Bulls are not signing a really good player this summer. There's no reason for any good free agent to come here. Like, they might be able to use the free or uh, cap space to sign, like, depth, but, like, they're obviously not getting a top-tier superstar. They're probably not getting a second-tier, like, star. Like, if if you're looking at, like, Chris Middleton, Kemba Walker, like, you could even argue whether even the Bulls should even try to sign one of those guys. So, like, basically, I feel like punting on cap space this year is the way to go. So then I guess, do you also kind of punt on cap space for whatever, whether it be 2020, by taking on Otto Porter's $25 million? I guess, theoretically, maybe you could deal him, flip him later if things aren't working out. I guess I would lean towards, I would probably take him, just because, like, he is a pretty solid player. Maybe in a new situation outside of the... I guess the Wizards are and the Bulls are both jokes, so I don't know. But, like, he would fit the, – the Bulls have a gaping hole at small forward. He would fit in really nicely at small forward. Um, and I feel like for next year, that would be really good. I just – I guess I, you would worry about how what that would mean for 2020. But I, then I guess that – like, are you that confident in the Bulls signing a free agent? Like, do you think that's the way the Bulls are going to make – get a superstar? I feel like maybe – because, like, I guess you if you think about Anthony Davis – be a free agent in 2020 if you want to go after him. I feel like I may, I'd probably just say fuck it and I'd say yes. Yeah, the <laughs> Bulls need some talent. It. They definitely need a wing. They definitely need some shooting. I'm trying to think about how all these guys would play next to Zion. So yeah. run a lineup with Levine, Porter, Zion, Markinen, Carter. <laughs> uh, I mean. You would have a lot of length. You'd have a lot of shooting. You would have some plus defenders. You, and you would obviously have... You'd have to have Zion and Levine. You would theoretically have playmakers. Yeah, you would theoretically have playmakers. You would have shoot a lot of shooting. Uh, obviously, if you're into the whole, like, you need, like, a pure point guard. or Not even pure point guard, but I guess, like, an actual point guard. Because none of those guys <laughs> are actually point guards. But, like, I feel like Levine could do it if... He's Levine's just got to cut down the turnovers. I mean, as like as like unique as Zion is, like I feel like if you're like making him Ben Simmons, that probably doesn't work. Like he's not exactly like that, like talented to be like that kind of point forward. Make, correct me if I'm wrong there, but I feel like he's I not, let him do it. Why not? I mean, you're gonna put the ball in his hands anyway. He's gonna be the offensive initiator. All right. I mean, that, I would I, just put the ball in his hands. All right. Yeah. Because like Levine, I feel like Levine, if he could just cut down on the turnovers, he could be that guy. Just He's so sloppy with the ball like, that it just it just might not be tenable. But like, I mean, at, at this point, fuck it, I'll try it, man. Like, the Bulls right now are terrible. Like, and while they have some like nice pieces and stuff, like right now it's like not that great. I, I'm willing to try anything. Like, be try, go out on a limb and try something unique. If it doesn't work, like it doesn't work. Like, what what the Bulls have been doing for years hasn't worked. I'll try something that 
try something a little different with talented players. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work, I guess. And, the, and they'll have to try something else. They can't make this trade, though, if it takes them out of the Zion race. I do think that's up for debate. Yeah. Like, would Porter improve the team that much this season where they would not be one of the five worst teams in the league, one of the four worst teams in the league? I don't know. Like, I, I don't think that Porter's impact would be that dramatic on this current roster because he's so much more of, like, a super role player than he is a guy who's going to, like, create offense out of thin air. Uh, yeah, I, Matt from Bloggable tweets this all the time, talks about it all the time. The Bulls have not made a trade to improve the team since the John Sammons trade during D-Rose's rookie John year. John my guy. I love John Sammons. When they ended up losing to uh, the Celtics in that epic first-round series. I mean, dude, that was a fucking lifetime ago for me. And you think where we were in our lives back in what year was that? Oh, That was 09? 09, yeah. Uh, that was a lifetime ago, man. Yeah, so, I, remember, I remember being in college. I was like, I feel like when D. Rose had that game one in that series, whatever, he had like 36 points. It was like set some kind of record, or like tied a record with like, Kareem or Wilt or some shit for like rookie playoffs. I can't remember who it was, oh, but like yeah. I think I was with like my parents, like uh doing something at, down at U of I for down at down at college. Like that's like a de- damn decade ago. Like that shit is wild. So like the bull, yeah, making a trade that to actually improve the team instead of just basically selling off parts. Like I guess like you don't really want to improve the team that much, like you said this season when you want them to lose as much as possible, but like. Maybe in this situation, it wouldn't be the worst idea because, like you said, I don't, I don't know. On a bad, on a team that's already bad already, like is Otto Porter going to be a guy that changes everything and like adds like five wins? Like I feel like that's probably a stretch. But I don't know. Like I feel like at this point, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm willing to try go out and try different things. This was because what the Bulls, what's happening right now with the team is just like so shitty and ugly. Like go on, go out and try something. Take a risk. Take a chance. Make a change. I don't know. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. Uh, I think Porter would be good. Obviously, that's just so much money. But like, Levine's making twenty million, right? Like, the Bulls' books are pretty damn clean. Like, you gotta. Can you get rid of Felicio in that trade? Stephen Parker and Felicio. The whole point with the Parker trade discussion is like, the Bulls cannot take salary back that extends beyond this year unless they're adding a player to the core. So you can't trade him to me for, like, Evan Turner. Like, Greenberg wrote this column at The Athletic, popping off some trade ideas. Uh, I, I just disagree with some of the trade ideas he threw I mean, out in that column. It was a good column by John, a uh, friend of the podcast, I'm going to say, even though he's probably never listened to the podcast. Uh, but John's a great guy, great, uh, you know, just voice throughout the Chicago sports community. But I, didn't, I don't like a trade for Evan Turner if he's got two years left on his deal. Like, I don't I, I, I'm totally in on, like, if I'm t- I'm fine taking on money for next season. Like if you get a first round pick to take on uh, one guy, like I've mentioned, is like the Rockets. Like I don't know if the Rockets actually would want Jabari, but like trade Jabari for Brandon Knight and like a first round pick. Like I would I would do that. Would you do that? Yeah, maybe I guess so. On, maybe take on like Chris as well if they want to. Yeah, I mean, if you could get a first rounder for it, I wasn't sure if those ideas were including a first rounder. If you get a first rounder and you can take on salary for next year, I mean, the Bulls basically did that to get Chandler Hutchison yeah. this year. Yeah, I mean, like I said, because I feel like cap space this summer, like at this point, just give up on it. Like you don't need, you're not going to need the max slot for a max player. Like it'd be nice to have some cap space 
for maybe some depth help for next year. But like in terms of like saving whatever 35, 40 million for like a max player, like I feel like that that pipe dream is over. I know some people want to want to hang on to it if you can get a meeting with a great player. There's no why would any great player if the Bulls, assuming they win like 25 games this year, no great player wants to come play with a bunch of young guys who haven't proven shit. So like use the cap space instead as an asset. Use it to get a first round pick if you can. Do whatever, which is what we thought the Bulls should have done this past summer instead of signing Jabari Parker. And so they signed Jabari Parker. So I guess if they can use Jabari to get a first round pick anyway, so I guess it would kind of even out. Like I would, I would, I would totally take that because again, living in the pipe dream of, of a star star player coming to a so far shitty group of shitty core that hasn't proven anything is a pipe dream. So like, get some type of asset. I guess would you do that kind of trade if it was like multiple second rounders instead of a first? It depends how much salary is coming back, who you're adding. But yeah, uh, I, I was wrong. Apologies to, to John and anyone else. If the Bulls are getting a first round pick back. You do that trade for sure. I guess uh, I didn't totally think that one through. But yes, I mean, that's what we want the Bulls to do to leverage their salary cap space into draft picks during a year when they're just not going to be appealing enough to land a, even a mid-tier free agent, most likely. Uh, the Bulls are going to be they're going to be bargain shopping on the uh, on the free agent market. I mean, maybe someone like Jeremy Lamb. That's a guy who's caught my eye a couple of times uh, in Charlotte. I've been a big Jeremy Lamb guy. Since he was in the draft, he's done nothing but disappoint me. But he's had a pretty decent year this year uh, for Charlotte. I think he's still only like 26 or 27. Uh, so, you know, that, like that's the tier of free agent the Bulls will be looking at next season, I think. Yeah, most likely. Like, Jeremy Lamb's good. Like, I feel like even if they took on whatever, $15 million seller, like the Bulls are in position to have a decent amount of cap space. I guess it'll, we'll see what happens with like Bobby Portis and his new contract. I would kind of guess that they try to keep him around. We'll see. I don't know, but yeah, if they went out and like spent, what do you? I mean, what do you think a guy like Jeremy Lamb would make? Like twelve million, maybe. Man, that even seems like ten to twelve. I don't know. I just it'll be interesting to see this this summer because a lot of teams are going to have money. So like, I I don't know if we're going to have another twenty sixteen where guys just make a a lot, but like the cap is going to be spiking the next couple of years. I'm pretty sure it's going. It'll be up to like 109 million, I think, this summer, and then I think it's going up again the next summer or two. So, like, when with a lot of teams willing to spend, like, I think there was like a freeze the last like summer or two. But I think we're gonna see more. We might see some bigger deals for questionable guys, I guess, this summer. Maybe I, I'm not unless unless teams are play it safe again. But with so many teams having cap space and like, I feel like we're gonna see some guys getting paid, but. Yeah, if anything, whatever. Ten to twelve million for Jeremy Land. I feel like it's something the Bulls. I'd be fine like considering that as a guy that can either whatever start it small forward or I guess do it smart or something like that or just off the bench something like that. I would. That sounds great to me. Like whatever. They need shooting. They need help on the wing. The Bulls are ridiculously thin on the wing. Clearly, they need some help there. Just fire Boylan. Fire Boylan. That okay. Has let's, happen. I mean, Taxon. I fire Boylan. Let's uh. Did you see the comment? Comments made by Gar Foreman came out of uh, his hole, made some comments to the Los Angeles Times, which I found kind of interesting. Um, did, did you re- did you see these comments or no? I, I did see them. I don't have them in front of me. So yeah, neither do I. But basically, the gist of it was like, oh, we're like we, we're exactly where we should be. We're totally fine. We're where we want to be. We're we're where we should be, which is absolutely obviously a lie completely ridiculous thing to say like you are not where you want to be like 
you're a complete laughing sack right now. And you did not, again, we've mentioned this multiple times. The Bulls, I'm pretty sure, did not intend to tank this season. They're in a position where they're going to. They were not. They were planning on taking a big step forward. They signed Jabari Parker to be their starting small forward to build this young core that could take a big step forward. It's obviously not happening. They did not expect to be seven and twenty-four with a near mutiny and firing their coach. Obviously, that's a complete joke. And I feel like that's that was kind of along the line of the Pax, John Paxson comments where he said we actually had a really good week after our whatever mutiny and fifty-six point loss. Just yeah, like great week, balls. Yeah, just like. You know, like, obviously, like, as, like, whatever, the front office, you're not going to completely just shit on your team, blah, blah, blah. But, like, I feel like this, at least be a little more honest with the fans who can absolutely see right through you. Like, when you say stuff like, hey, this was a great, actually a really good week, or, like, yeah, this is where we actually want to be. Like, we're totally fine. This is where we thought we'd be. Like, obviously, that's just not true. Like, you do not expect to be 7-24. and You do not expect to fire Fred Hoiberg a quarter of the way through the season. You do not expect to be the worst offense in the league. Like, it's not where you expect to be. Just, like, it would be refreshing just to be like, yeah, you know, like, we the, like, the season is not gone as we'd hoped. Like, we, we were expecting to be a little better. Like, we were hoping things would have gone a little better with Fred. Like, and with Paxton, like, you know, like, we had a tough week. Like, we, we think we can get through this together. But it's like, just, there's just so much bullshit coming from the coach, the coach, the front office. Where it's just like, it, you see why so many fans are just like, disillusioned with this whole product and just the whole organization and and why and why we complain about them all the time as we mentioned after i don't know if it was last podcast or the hoiberg podcast where we said we don't want to shit on the bulls all the time we end up shitting on the bulls all the time because the bulls make a shit on them all the time and just like stuff like that where they sell you this line of bullshit which is obviously crap we're gonna call that out like we're not we're not gonna we're not we're, we're gonna call a spade a spade and we're and we're not we're not going to take that that kind of garbage just like lying down. It's it's ridiculous. Uh, John Paxson at the end of the last season, we never want to be in this position again. Guess what, John Paxson? You're in this position again. I mean, at this point, they're they're on pace to be worse than they were last year. Uh, I I've I mentioned before. I still think that they're going to find a way to win around the same number of games, maybe even more. But like right now, they're literally. Tied for the worst record and have the worst point differential. Like they're literally in this, if not in the same spot as they were last year, if not worse. So like it's it's happening again. So like, yeah. And it goes back to something I wrote in my uh, season preview type column. I like to think of it as like the state of the Bulls. My state of the union address for the Bulls at the beginning of every season. In that article, I wrote. The Bulls front office has done the only thing we can reliably count on them to do. They've built a bad team on accident. And that's what they did. They did not intend for this team to, you know, finish with the worst record in the NBA. Yet here they are. Hopefully it pays off for us. I mean, the tank gods need to smile on us once every 10 years. The Bulls need to be saved from themselves. This is too big of a franchise to be a complete fucking joke, as it has been for way too long. Uh, and the only way it's going to happen is with a massive talent infusion. That's only going to come through getting the number one pick in the draft. It's our plea. It's our plea every week, Jason. Give it us is. the first pick, please. It is. Just, just give it to us. Don't give. Again, we again plead. Don't, don't give it give, to the Knicks. Don't Fuck. give it to the Knicks. Don't give it to the Cavs. I'll, I'll accept the Hawks, but preferably, preferably the Bulls. I, I won't accept the Suns either. The Suns are They've maybe the many one. Suns might be the one franchise that are a bigger. Bigger joke than the Bulls because their owner is a piece of crap. 
threatening to move the team, all that garbage stuff. Screw the Suns, screw the Cavs, screw the Knicks. I'll accept I'll accept the Hawks being the top pick because Hawks seem like they have at least a fun foundation and a fun coach in place, and Trey Young's kind of fun. So I'll, I'll accept Zion and Trey Young as a duo. But obviously, would prefer the Bulls to get that top pick. You said we make this plea every week. At this point, we we basically have to because when we when we go through when every week, like when was the last time we like had a podcast where we didn't weren't talking about like a thirty point loss? Like it happens literally. It seeming seemingly every week. I feel like this after this one, when the next pod we do, we actually might not have a thirty point loss because they're actually playing some shitty teams. So maybe we won't be make make the plea. But maybe the maybe the Bulls have gotten loose to all these shitty teams and they'll be like eight and twenty seven the next time we. We talk, and we'll we'll just end up doing it again. Because hey, Jason, they only lost by twenty five against the Thunder. That's that road dog mentality. True. For you. True. Uh, I think that does it for this podcast. Yeah, we, there's not that much else to say. I, I'm trying to think. Like, I don't think much else happened happened with in Bulls world. Uh, besides, we got the fight. We got Jabari go. The Jabari situation going belly up. Levine's hurt. Dunn and Lowry are back. I want I, I want to see the young guys. Hopefully. Find some type of rhythm at some point while they also lose games, so then they could get get that number one pick like we talked about. But yeah, I think I think that about wraps it up for this past week. And uh, like we said, well, I guess we'll, like I just mentioned that they have some easier games. I mentioned it earlier, but we'll quick run through the schedule for this next week as leading up to the Christmas holiday. We got Wednesday night. It's home against the Nets. Like I said, they're going to be on the second of a back to back after the Lakers. They beat the Lakers. Uh, and then Fridays versus the Magic at home. Two very winnable games at Cleveland on Sunday. Winnable game. Then they got a couple days off for the holiday. And then minute, home at Minnesota should be could be a fun game the day after Christmas uh, with D Rose coming back. And then at Washington uh, next Friday, which the Wizards are a joke too. But yeah, the Bulls have some winnable games coming up. Maybe we'll have some wins to talk about. Not that I'm really that excited about that. But besides that. I guess uh, I guess we'll see when we talk next. If I guess Christmas is coming, Christmas is coming up. If we don't, if we don't talk before that, maybe we'll try to get one in before before Christmas. But if not, uh, Merry Christmas, Ricky. Merry Christmas from the Cash Considerations. Merry Bullsmas. Fire John Paxson. Fuck you, John Paxson. That's, that's what we want for Christmas. You know how John Paxson always fires people. On Christmas Eve, he's gonna. He should fire himself on Christmas Eve. There you go. And with that, we've talked about the Bulls for fifty-seven minutes. You guys deserve a damn ribbon, a medal, at least a cookie if you've listened to this podcast for this long. Given how trash the organization is, this is the Cash Considerations podcast. I'm Ricky. That's Jason. Merry Christmas. See ya. Peace. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment 
and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.